Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, Razorback fans, to another episode of the Hog Talk Podcast. This is episode number 80. This is Jacob Davis, one of the hosts here. I just want to thank you guys for continuing to turn in during this crisis of COVID-19. You guys are the backbone of what we do. We, we want you to continue to engage in our shows, in our live videos, and everything uh, we do on social media and, and on the, our website, thehogtalk.net want to thank you again uh, for tuning in today. Uh, this show is brought to you by Hyman Services. Is your to-do or honeydew list too long to tackle? Are your DIY skills likely to fail you? Do you wish you had a handy friend to do what they promised without breaking the bank? Hyman Services is a family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. Our customer reviews speak volumes. Check Hyman Services out on Facebook or call us for any interior or exterior project around the home or business. We do repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, patios, fencing, and so much more. Call Hyman Services at 479-347-9336 and tackle your to-do list without getting your hands dirty. Now, today we have Kyle and Peck with us and they're going to talk about the uh, moments in Razorback history that don't really ever get ta- uh, that talk about, or or even are overshadowed by other moments. Uh, they talk about that, and then they talk about their quarantine options that they've had on TV. Huh, Tiger King? Huh, yeah, that's gonna be fun. So stay in, tune in, and enjoy the show. This is the Hog Talk Podcast, episode number eighty. Razorback fans, welcome into the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle Southern, alongside Porter Hayes. We hope that you are all having a great now as we are in third week of quarantine and hope you're all staying safe out there, staying six feet apart. We're going to have a segment tonight talking about moments in Razorback history. I'm going to cover at least five football ones from really my childhood, even up through now. There's really over the last two years, not a whole lot of great moments, especially But I feel like, especially really since this whole thing has been going on with COVID-19, that we've had a lot of talks about the typical LSU game from 2007. The LSU wins in 2014 and 2015. But I'm going to talk about five of mine that nobody really talks about a whole lot. And Porter, I know you you can chime in as well and give some that that I might miss. But I got to ask you, here we are about 21 days into quarantining. And have you watched all your Netflix shows yet? Or what are you doing at this point? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, of course, you know, I had to check out Tiger King and get on that crazy. And that's that's one of the craziest shows I've ever seen. I mean, it's you of all the characters, you're trying to figure out which one's the craziest. And so we finished that finished Ozark, which is another killer series for those who don't haven't watched Ozark. I highly recommend it. I mean, it, I don't know if you've watched it, but Ozark is the best show. I, I So I never got into Breaking Bad. I know that that was probably the most popular show on TV at one point, and it's still pretty popular today, even though it's been, what, seven years since the final season ended. 
I, I never got into it, and it's not that I didn't like it. I, I, by the time that I was thinking about it, it was just a little bit too late. So I would say that Ozark is probably the best show on Netflix right now, if you ask me. Yes, definitely. I mean, the, the twists and the plots and the ending, I mean, everything. I mean, it always – it's one of them shows that you, you sometimes can – you know, guess what's coming and you have an idea what's coming, but this one, I mean, it just definitely throws you for a loop and you never know what to look forward to. What did you think? So the big thing right now, we've seen all the memes. It went from all the Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself memes to something about Carol, whether it be Carol Baskin was the one that hired Chad Morris. Carol Baskin did basically any kind of horrible thing that is happening within our society today. What is your take on the whole? Now, I, I mean, yes, I'm not a Carol Baskin fan, but I'll just go on a limb and say that I don't think that Joe Exotic is completely innocent either. Now, I think that that is very possible that at some point he could possibly get his sentence reduced. I don't think he's going to get out of prison anytime soon. I'm not so sure that he's going to end up serving life. I mean, I know he didn't get a life sentence, but 79 years at what, 63 years of age, and uh, barring some kind of miracle, <laughs> there's no way he's going to outlive that sentence. But do you think that he's as innocent as everybody's making him out to be? I mean, don't forget, he allegedly burned down his studio. He and, did. And, yeah, which I think he did. I think there's no question about that. Now, I am of 100% belief that once you're a grown adult, you make your own decisions. But to me, I, I think that he shows a lot of guilt as well in bringing these guys in that he, has, of course, eventually married and pretty much just bribing them with drugs. And these guys are addicts, so of course they're going to take that. I mean, you come on a tiger farm, you basically pet tigers and snort meth or whatever you do all day. I don't know exactly how that goes. But I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think that he is as innocent as the Internet essentially is making him out to be? No, no. I mean, you're, you're basically, you got these people working for next to nothing. I mean, I, I know they exaggerated with, you know, what they were really eating and stuff like that. But I mean, when you're basically making a hundred dollars a week to work six, seven days a week, I mean, and I, this, and I know this is probably going to catch a lot of people off guard, but I've watching the season, Joe exotic actually reminded me a lot of Chad Morris. Because he, he started off, you know, under the control, and then it seemed like the limelight hit him, and all the attention got to him, and then he was just in over his head. And then he got in this battle with this millionaire down in, in, in Florida, and he, I think he just bit off more than he could chew with that whole deal, and he lost sight of what really mattered. And all of them are crazy as hell. And they want to say that they're all doing this and that for the right reasons, the best reason. Carol Baskin, whether she killed her husband or not, which I think she did. I mean, you're basically volunteers are working at your center for no pay and you're conning these people. They're all crooked. All of them are. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree. That's what I pretty much was getting at. I think the only one that I feel that, that just comes off the top of my head, what was the the one that, that got its uh, – arm bitten off i can't remember what the name is yeah yeah the one that got it and sh that person was still loyal that, yeah i mean that, yeah that's about the there for the right reasons yeah right i think that's about the only person that i can think of in the entire series that i'm like wow like this is a person that i would actually like to have on my team and the craziest part about that was is whenever like the arm got bitten off 
it was like he comes into the gift shop and it's like, yeah, man, uh, just to let you know, one of our employees got their arms bitten off. We'll give you a refund or what can like, and they're just standing around like all clueless. Like, what do you, yeah, what exactly? Exactly. Yeah, like it was. Well, no they big had deal. the audacity, like, hey, you want me to give your money back, or hey, I can give you refund you for another day. It was like, are you even thinking about the person who just got her arm bitten off, you know? And it was just, yeah. Oh, and the funeral. I mean, I don't want to say too much if people haven't um, seen the show, but man, the funeral it blew me away. I was like, are you kidding me? He he reminded me of the dude off Eastbound and Down. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty crazy. I was I knew that one of his husbands had died. I didn't know exactly how it was, but they basically again, I don't want to give away too much either, but yeah. the the scene that we saw, I was kind of shocked how now of course it wasn't yes. as graphic as I'm making it out to be, but that whole deal, of course, then him starting dating somebody else two months later. I mean, this the whole thing was just complete crazy fiasco but i think the producer said it perfectly at, at the the very end of the final episode talking and this is the last thing the last spoiler so but i mean it's been out for what like two two three weeks at this point but i think he said it perfectly when he mentioned that when joe began that zoo farm whatever you want to call it i think that his heart was in the right place i think that he was he meant thing in the right way kind of like maybe carol baskin did initially but as the money started rolling in, as the fame started rolling in, I think that really got to his head, and especially the money. And when he was running for president, I think that he was really just trying to build his brand because he even talked about in his in his promotional videos talking about how broke he was. Now, you're not going to have he wasn't going to have a successful campaign regardless, but nobody that is broke is going to have a successful campaign to run for president or really any kind of high office, even as governor of Oklahoma. Yeah, and I just thought that was just all for show. I mean, he he didn't he wasn't going to go in there and change anything. And just the fact that I mean, I guess give him kudos for for even putting himself out there. And but I think he was very blind. He thought people were cheering for him and not laughing at him. You know, I mean, he took it as like these really people really like me when he's basically the laughing stock of Oklahoma. And just the whole series throughout was just how everything played out. And like you said, you know, your heart's in it. But when you let your, and this can go to sports, if you let your emotions take hold of your main focus, you you get tunnel vision and you lose sight of everything around you. And I think that's what happened with the whole lawsuit and, you know, letting that dude come in. And he thought his saving grace was going to, you know, come in and save his farm when, in fact, he was a crook, too, and this guy's off scot-free. Well, he snitched everybody out, so of course he's going to be scot-free. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that overall it was there's there's plenty of people that you can point the fingers at, and I, I think that what was the, the – Jeff Lowe, was that his name? Yeah, there's, that was the uh, one that come in. Yeah, he was uh, – that guy's total scumbag. I, I really don't like him at all. I mean, there was a lot of the – a lot of the characters in there that I was just not crazy about, most of them in general. I, I tell people that I was actually talking to a buddy about it today, and he said that he really didn't have any interest in watching it. And I said, I think I was more interested in the because I, I initially studied law some in college, and I, I really loved the classes that I took. I think it's very interesting to study cases and such. And so that was what I was more interested in was the lawsuit. But I think that it was definitely a good show in terms of it has really got the country talking about something other than some of the negative things that are going on today. 
And so that, yeah, it's, it's definitely COVID-19 is serious and it needs to be talked about. It needs to be the, the proper precautions need to be taken. But that was one of the shows along with Ozark that, that I think we can all uh, that we've all really enjoyed <laughs> getting involved in as, as time has gone on with this. And we're not really so sure. Ha- have you uh, have you had the chance to watch Don't F with Cats? I have not. That'll probably okay. be one of my next So ones. listen, if you like the case and stuff, you will love that show. Um, not going into it too much because, I mean, it was a popular show about a month ago and everybody was. But, man, just these people who took their time to investigate and track. I mean, when you start getting into it, I mean, take the the gory stuff out of it and you just look at it from a case point and what they did and how everything went down. You you'll be hooked and you'll probably be watching it for the next two days. Yeah, I just got to be careful with that because where I really get myself is when I have to get up early. So I, I try to limit it to to one or two episodes per night, like especially if I have to work that day. But I, I do have the next two days to myself, so give me some time for that. But well, uh, want to switch topics here, and I, I was thinking the other day, and I and I know I ran it by by you and Jacob as I guess it was yesterday or two days ago, whenever it was. And as I talked about at the very beginning when we started recording that. We've seen a lot of things over the last few days. Of course, War Machine, as as he always does, he's been dropping quite a few videos and new stuff that he's made. And we've been watching a lot of different highlights. I know that many of us have been reminiscing on the 2010 season, the 2011 season, and, and other times, whether it be basketball, football, baseball. But I wanted to take it just a step further, and I wanted to talk about some top five moments that nobody really talks about. Now, before we start this, these are not moments that you never hear about. I'm not saying that they were put in a vault and they were just put away forever. I think that there's going to be at least two of them that I mentioned that you're probably either not going to remember or you're, you're going to it's going to jog your memory a little bit. But I know that for me, um, I, I really started watching Razorback athletics really heavily when I was eight years old, and so for my like for my parents. In their their generation, you'd probably look back to the 1978 Orange Bowl, which my dad grew up in southeast Missouri, not an Arkansas fan at the time. My mom grew up in Arkadelphia but didn't watch football. But our parents' generation would probably look at that game or in 1964 as the game that was just it for them, that really that really uh, set the, the pace for their Razorback fandom and just like a major highlight. For my generation, of course, it would be LSU in 2007, which we've talked about so many different times. Uh, of course, the uh, well, and I don't want to talk. I don't want to say this next one because it's going to be one of mine. But the point is that I'm trying to make is I don't want this to seem like that everything that I'm about to say is something that is never mentioned. I just don't think it's mentioned enough. So I want to start off with the first one, and that was the Porter. You probably remember this one, the 2003 upset over number six tex- Texas, 38-28 in Austin. They had that was a team that had Roy Williams. Now Vince Young was not quite starting for them yet. He took over later in that season as a true freshman. It was Chance Mock at the time, but that was a really good Texas team in like week two or three that the Razorbacks went into Austin and just demolished them. Cedric Cobbs had a big day. Matt Jones had a big day. I think George Wilson at wide receiver had a big day as well. And anytime you beat you beat Texas. Now I'm not like a massive Texas hater since that rivalry was long gone, really, by the time I was born, or at least it was kind of deteriorating since we were joining the SEC. I really don't have a major hatred that most Razorback fans do. But do you remember this when that when this happened in 2003? Yeah, because that, that, they had uh, 
Cedric Cobbs, right? Was he still yeah. there then? Okay. Because yeah. I know the 2000 game where they played them was they beat them in Texas as well, right? That was the so that was actually the 2000 Cotton Bowl. Yes, that's Andy what it Rippers was. 2000. Yep. Yeah, that was still that's right. Yeah, that was still Clint Sterner and yes. uh, uh, Marjorie Hill was gone. I think with Chris Chikuma at running back yep. at the time. Uh, Anthony Lucas was on that team. Yeah, so that was and that they they beat Texas pretty pretty handily in that yes. one. And that and the the, the next one that I was going to go to it actually is not it's not a coincidence that I'm I'm using Texas again, but of course the 2014 uh, Texas Bowl. Now that one is talked about quite a bit, but I think the reason why I put this on the list is because for me and I think a lot of Razorback fans, this was when we really felt like we were going to turn the corner and get back to the success of possibly the Petrino days. Now, Bobby Petrino, of course, won 21 games in two seasons in 2010 and 2011. That whole fiasco happened with the motorcycle. He ends up getting fired. John L. Smith comes in. Brett Bielema's first year, of course, didn't go near as planned as we had expected. But you st- you finish off the 2014 season as arguably, I mean, and people have called me crazy and biased for this, but I truly believe that back end of that 2014 season, they were a top 10 team, maybe the best defense in the entire country. We, of course, talked to Martrell Spade about that when we had him on a, a few weeks ago or about a little over a month ago. And, of course, I had asked, Texas only had 59 yards of total offense and two rushing. And Arkansas had the ball for 41 minutes compared to Texas's 19. So it was just straight-up domination. And I, one of the questions that I had asked him was, what was it that just made you guys go off so hard? Of course, they were coming off a, a loss to Missouri which uh, about a month earlier, which they should have won. And he had said one of their major motivations was in the, the pregame festivities during that week, Texas won all of them, whether it had been bull riding, roping. They just won everything. And for whatever reason, that just made them really mad. And so I, I really thought that that was going to be the turning point, even though it was a seven and six season. I was like, okay, we've got some pretty solid recruits coming in. Got a decent amount. Brandon Allen was coming back. Jonathan Williams was coming back the next year. Alex Collins. And then you had an okay 2015. And then after that, it just all went downhill. Yeah, definitely, because that's the the hope, you know, because they'd been burnt after, you know, the Petrino fiasco. And then with that win over Texas and, you know, always any game, it doesn't matter if both teams are one and nine. You know, it's always a big win if you can beat Texas. And for those old timers, it's still like that. It, I don't think the Texas game means as much to maybe our generation or, or the generation now. But for the program itself, it's always a big big must if you beat Texas and how they thought that, you know, of course, after the win, you know, he's flashing the horns down and, you know, you think, all right, this guy's going to get it. He's going to bring us back to what Petrino had or put us on the same level as Wisconsin. And, and I don't know if something happened. He just, that's where I guess he got complacent because I think he, he just expected now next year, we're going to be just so good. And then it just started a downhill trend. So, but yeah, I guess that was a disappointing deal because people had so much hope that that the tide was turning back to a winning program and just kind of fell on their face. And you know, now we're still here, you know, all this time later in 2020, and it's still the same same deal. Yeah, and we don't know when it's going to end just because of 
everything that's going on right now. I mean, I think that we're definitely going to have football season, but not it's not going to be in the same capacity that we've seen it in so many years past. But the next one I got that now this one, my, so and these are all in and not necessarily any order. These are just the top five that I could think of, and I'm just happening to go off a list. And this one, I would almost be willing to bet that most don't. If you've if you've watched Razorback football heavily in the last ten to fifteen years, you might not actually remember this one. Of course, some of the diehard fans will, but the the thirty one. Or I'm sorry, it, it ended up being, um, I think it was 34-31 was the final score against Alabama in 2003. Now, I actually forgot to write down the final score, but I know that the Razorbacks scored 31 unanswered to eventually win it in double overtime. Now, this is significant. Of course, you have to throw in that this particular Alabama team was not very good. This is at the beginning of the Mike Shula era, which was a complete disaster. They were 2-3 and three coming into this game. This is a team that had Brody Croyle. Uh, Shad Williams. I really don't remember a whole lot of the other ones, but of course, Arkansas still, this was the same team that had beat Texas a few weeks earlier and was down 31 to 10 with eight minutes left in, in the third quarter and then scored 24 unanswered points. Cedric Cobbs had 200 yards and that was the last time. So almost 17 years ago, that was the last time that Arkansas won in Tuscaloosa. Of course, they beat Alabama in 2006 when Mitch Mustaine connected with Ben Cleveland. But it's it's crazy to think about that the last time the Razorbacks won in Tuscaloosa, it was almost 20 years ago. Yeah, and they've come close a couple of times since then. You know, and it seems like they're always close, but just can never get that win. And yeah, for that game, you know, of course, Bama going through that deal with Shula in their downward years, but to score that many points and, and to come back and get that win, I mean, who would have thought now, all these years later, that that'd be the last time that they would have beat, you know, Alabama at home? I mean, because last, last time they close to beat them was, what, 14? Was that when they almost? 2014, yeah. 2014. They, they, were, they lost 15 so, to 14, yeah. and Landon Collins for Alabama picked off that pass late in the game and sealed the deal. And it's just crazy. All the and that's the thing. I guess that's the the motto. It seems like of Razorback football is all the what ifs and the almost. And I mean, as bad as the program's been, there's been games where if they would have won the games, it could be a totally different program right now. You know, you look at the Ohio State game and and that Alabama game and all the other games that they should have. You know, the times they could have beat Auburn and just couldn't ever get it rolling you know it seems like they just couldn't ever get over that hump that could take them to that next level with the you know the past three coaches yeah and 2015 in particular I know that I think we've all mentioned this at times me you Ty and Jacob is it just if they would have beaten Toledo like they should have done in 2000 or so in 2015 at Memorial Stadium that game right there, and then also too, there was another one. I can't remember which one, but they they could have easily been been at ten wins that year. Of course, they ended up getting eight, and they beat Kansas State in the uh, Kansas State in the Liberty Bowl that season. But that was the peak. That the eight wins. That's the best it's been since 2011, and that's just crazy to think because it really just doesn't seem that like that long ago that. They, this team had Joe Adams and, and Jarius Wright and Tyler Wilson, Ryan Mount, all those players. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so many what ifs, whether it be a bowl game, whether it be regular season. 
And it was 2014, there was a few of those too. Now, like I said, they did turn the corner at the end there in the second half of the season, really, really got it going. And I, I mean, that was, I seriously don't know that at the end of that year, now Ohio state in 2014, that run that they went on, I don't think that anybody was stopping them, but I, I really truly believe now Martrell Spate said that, that he believes that they could have beaten anybody. Now, I don't know that I'm going to go as far as to say that they could have beaten anybody, but I think that they could have, they they could have played with just about maybe anybody but Ohio State, just with the way that they were clicking, not only on defense as one of the top ones in the nation, but offense as well. And yeah, it's just a lot of a lot of programs could say the same thing, but there is there is so many what ifs, really, just even since in the last five to six years. But my next one is one that I think a lot will remember because we're before the Petrino years, one of the best seasons that we had had was in Houston Nuts tenure. Uh, this was one of the best ones in 2006 when they went down to Auburn, who was number two at the time, and beat them 27 to 10. DMAC and Felix combined for 41 carries for 249 yards. Now, this was the year that Mitch Mustang started, was 8 0. And with the amount of drama that seemed now, I did have Marcus Shavers on when I was previously doing Tex Hogs earlier this summer. And he had said that they had a very strong locker room, kind of refuted some claims that we've been making for so long that there was a lot of beef between a lot of the younger guys in particular, the Springdale Five and Gus Malzahn, just a total clash of different views of one, of Houston Nutt still running to run his smash mouth type offense when Gus Malzahn was wanting to air it out. There's a whole bunch of different rumors that are still going on that I think that that Jacob and Ty really got the best story from Ben Cleveland. I, I can't remember if you were on that one, Porter, or not, but when they had Ben Cleveland on, that was probably the most information that I have ever seen out of that Springdale 5 story of anything. That's including the identity theft documentary that they did, Amazon did, over Mitch Mustaine. And despite everything that seemed to have gone on in 2006 they were a and i'm not trying to bring up any bad memories but they were a basically a reggie fish muff punt away from possibly playing for the national championship yeah i mean that's one of the ones the what ifs of that's right up there with the stoner fumble and and of course the scoop and score and the mallet interception i mean that's one of the ones that i remember watching that game and just that you thought they had it in hand and they were taking control of the game. And then all of a sudden just boom. And it was so close to the end zone. And it was like your, your gut just, uh, you just felt it all over your body that, you know, how devastating that, that play was. And, you know, it's got, like all that talent they had during that year. And then of course you think of all the talent they had with childs and Adams and that era. And for them to just not be able to, get to, you know, win a major bowl game or get to a national championship implications. You know, it's like, I think that's the biggest what if is like, what if they could have just had everything click together? Cause I think, you know, even when, you know, Jones and McFadden all that, I think Marcus Monk was, was hurt. And I mean, that would have been another weapon that they could have had for that, you know, that tenure. So, I mean, there's just so much we could go on and on about like these games and these plays and, the muff punt, the fumble, the fumble always sticks out in my mind because, you know, I remember watching that. And matter of fact, Clint Stoner actually come and talked to our athletic banquet my senior year and uh, just was talking about that. And you just remember that ball laying on the ground and just how at Neyland Stadium and 
they could have very well went on won a national championship that year. That was going to be my next one. So 1998, I, I remember that season very well. I was eight years old. It was the first season that I had really watched this team game by game. And of course, grew up watching basketball. I, I very, very, very vaguely remember Scotty Thurman taking that winning shot against Duke. And I, I remember some of the Danny Ford days, uh, Peyton Manning coming to Little Rock in 1997 and Arkansas almost winning that game. But 1998 was the year that I really remember game by game. And that was the first season that I began to follow him in that capacity. And I still remember as a little eight-year-old boy, you know, most eight-year-old boys are out there crying because they've got scraped knees or the little girl from down the street doesn't like them. I was crying because Clint Sterner just fumbled the football. And, and it's, and I'm not saying that he fumbled the game away. I'm one of those firm believers that a, a game is 60 minutes long and sometimes things just don't go your way. But I still remember the, just the heartache that I felt from that game. With that being said, though, the number one for me is, and it, it's talked about, but it's not talked about enough, is getting revenge against Tennessee with the exact same score flip-flopped. So Arkansas lost the previous year 28-24 to in Knoxville. They get the revenge in 1999. The infamous Paul Ills call went maybe the most infamous call along with Jones to Jones to Birmingham, Birmingham to Atlanta in 02 and the, and the miracle on Markham. And they get revenge over Tennessee. Now, in 99, it didn't have quite as much meaning as, as it would have in 1998. Now, in 1998, had you would have beaten Tennessee. Now, the very next week, they ended up going to Starkville, Mississippi and losing to Mississippi State. There was a whole thing about Todd Latterette and Tony Dodson, the, the punter and the kicker. They had, I don't remember the exact story, Porter. You might remember this, but apparently... They had gotten a D, they both got DWIs or public intoxes or something like that. And both of them ended up getting the cases were dismissed for both of them. But Houston Nutt essentially had a student tryout for kicker. And they, I don't even remember who the kicker was for the Mississippi State game, but they ended up losing that. So Mississippi State goes and plays Tennessee in the SEC championship, gets beat pretty bad, I think. And then Tennessee ends up going and playing Florida State and winning the national championship. Now, I don't think that if we would have beaten Tennessee and Knoxville, of course, this was, you know, if ifs and buts, we, you never know what could have happened. But I don't think that they would have beaten them a second time in the SEC championship. I think that Tennessee was just too good. And Arkansas played above their talent. I think they were just a bunch of guys that Houston Nutt did a great job motivating. Not that there wasn't talent. I mean, of course, you had Clint Sterner. You had Madre Hill. You had Anthony Lucas on the defensive side of the ball. You had C.J. McClain. You had David Barrett that played quite a long time in the NFL. There was a lot of talent on that team, but I just think that Tennessee just was light years above just about everybody that season, except for maybe Florida State, which, again, they ended up taking down. But just the, the feeling for fans, and, and, and for Clint Sterner, too, you got to think, like, you know that his teammates picked him up after that game and what had happened, and but just for him, and you saw how overcome with emotion he was when a very, very young Bo Mattingly was interviewing him, and he, he was crying so much that he couldn't even hardly talk. So for Razorback fans, of course, it was really good, but just to see someone like Clint Sterner who had poured his heart, just a, a tough, tough quarterback, one of the toughest quarterbacks I've ever watched play the game, to see him get to get that revenge – in that way, the exact same score, except it was reversed from last year. I think that was probably the, the best one for me just throughout my entire life. Mine is, uh, you know, the game where Casey Dick laid that block out and 
and had uh, oh, seven, McFadden yeah. score. Yeah, I mean, yeah. to me, it was just like, you talk about a dogfight. You know, that, that was. was a dogfight to the end, and they were lining up trying to stop McFadden and, and, and Jones and Hillis, and you had a quarterback in Casey Dick, and for a quarterback to run that far down the field and lay that timely block and allow him to score. I mean, that's one of my favorite moments of, of course, you know, with, with the Scotty Thurman shot and, and stuff like that, you know, but to me, it's like those plays like that, that people go out of their way to really lay a block like that and allow them to score. And it just brings back a lot of memories. And I was looking at, you know, more machines videos and, you know, there's a lot of this and I'm not trying to get into the debate of, you know, whether they should play in Little Rock or not, but it's like back then it didn't matter where they played. If they played in Dallas, if they played in the Cotton Bowl or Texas, Austin, they played in Little Rock or Fayetteville, fans showed up because they were getting a good team. And I think that if Arkansas turned a program around and they started winning again and getting on that level, they could go back down to Little Rock and sell it out and it would get back to those glory days. You know, it's hard enough to get people to come into Fayetteville and then you want to go to play in a, a game in Little Rock too. But I was just looking at all those videos of, of when they would play LSU every year in War Memorial Stadium. You know, they, I mean, they did that every home game. They would play them in Little Rock. A, a lot of the times they would play Tennessee. They would play the Eastern, um, they would play the SEC team out of the East, where there's like South Carolina that year, Tennessee. Back in the day, they would play them in Little Rock. I mean, that was my first Razorback game. I was living in Little Rock, and I went and watched uh, Tennessee. They had Heath Schuler was the quarterback. And they played, it was, I think, like 91 or 92. I think Arkansas had just come into the SEC. But to me, like, if they get back to that winning ways, I mean, you're going to have those moments wherever they play. Yeah, and it's funny you bring that up because, like, like I was mentioning, you know, Peyton Manning came in in 1997, his senior year. They those teams were really good with him, but they could just never get over the hump with beating Florida. Of course, Steve Spurrier famously said, "You can't spell Citrus Bowl without UT." One of the many, one of the many shades that he threw at a lot of the schools that he played. But Miami came in here in '91. Of course, Arkansas got throttled like 50 to three. It was that was one of Miami's early '90s national championship teams. As you said, Tennessee, and every single year, man, that was the highlight of my life growing up was going to War Memorial Stadium and tell now I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to get in the debate either. I'm not saying I'm not arguing for or against it. I'm just saying that those LSU games, I remember, especially like in I remember tailgating. I didn't go to the one in 2010 uh, that we won to end up clinching the Sugar Bowl berth. But I just remember the, the atmosphere every single and, and it wasn't just for LSU. Now, it did seem to get a little bit more amped up when the Tigers were in town. But, yeah, like you said, it didn't matter where they played. And right now, it's just – I think it's more of just maybe the, the lack of coaching <laughs> the last two years. But you just hope that with the new regime that is coming in that we can get back to that. And I, and I think that it will. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that we're going to get back to 10 or 11 wins anytime soon. But I think that just – I really – I've said it 100 times, but I think that Hunter Juracek really made a good decision – and getting the perfect coach for this team right now, because you can hire the hot names like Lane Kiffin and pay them $5 million a year, or you can get a Sam Pittman that knows how to recruit, that knows how to build your teams from the inside out, and also helps you crawl before you can walk. 
before we start talking about winning an SEC game, we got to start talking about winning in general. You're you're letting group of five teams come in here and kick your butt every single year. So I think that 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 we're at the the point right now that Yurchek really made the best decision that he could have made, and not having to worry about getting a flashy hire. So I'm with you. I'm with you there. And I, I wanted to give an honorable mention. I know that I saw that Jake, I'm actually recording on Facebook off my phone, so I wasn't able to see all the text. But Jacob mentioned um, about the another Tennessee game when College Game Day came to Fayetteville in 2006. Well, I was that yes. was going to be my yeah that was going to be my honorable mention. And I was actually there for that game. I was at the tailgate. I was in 11th grade, uh, and I was at the tailgate and at the game. Uh, had really good seats for that game. I actually went with one of my friends and his parents. And uh, that was one of the most electric I have ever seen DW. Now, of course, I, I wasn't there uh, for the – I was outside of the stadium watching it for the Alabama game when they almost won it in 2010 when they said I, – I do remember that – Many people, including Greg McElroy, has said that that's the loudest that D.W. Reynolds has ever been whenever Ronnie Wingo was wide open on that wheel route. And I do remember getting into Fayetteville about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. We fire up the smoker to put some ribs on. You could – it was just – you couldn't even hear yourself think with how nuts it was in that place. But after the game was over and we got in the car and we headed back, you could hear a pin drop. And so – but I think, and I, and I wasn't trying to get too far off topic there, but I think for me, and I've been to quite a few games at DW Reynolds, I think that that was probably the, the craziest that I've ever seen. I mean, Lee Corso put on the hog hat, and that was that was one of the seasons that Darren McFadden, I think that Darren McFadden, without question, should have won the Heisman in 2006. He'd make a really good case in 2007. But 06, no questions asked, should have been the Heisman winner. But, man, that was just another one of those games that – from the, that 2006 season that I was talking about just a second ago that uh, really, really put a lot of these guys on. The, we figured out really who Felix Jones was. He and Darren showed a lot of flashes their freshman year. But whenever college game day came into town, and that was the primetime game, and they were playing on primetime a lot, this is when we really put those later Houston Nut teams of, the, of getting into the later 2000s on the map. Yeah, you you could honestly put up. I mean, other than like maybe the a year with Ryan Mount, you could put the, the era with McFadden, Felix, Joan, Peyton, Hillis up there with like how the basketball team, as in hype, not not success or wins, but I'm talking about as in hype of the team. You could match the hype with McFadden and all them with like the '93, '94, '95 basketball team because it was so much hype surrounded around you know, that three-headed monster, you know, and every time McFadden touched the ball or Felix Jones touched the ball, they could possibly score, you know, other than, you know, that USC game where they just got obliterated. I mean, other than that, I mean, they come to play and they could score. I mean, and, and I'll just watch those, you know, the great defenses at the time that, you know, Nick Saban had with LSU. They, they had problems trying to stop him. And just how quick he was and how that one play that you see where he ran right up the middle and then guys were just trying to enclose on him and he just sped off into the distance. And, you know, that was like I said, I brought up the the block, you know, where Casey Dick laid. I mean, they just those were some exciting times. And I think like in the basketball part, you know, you always reflect back to 94 because that was the last time you won a national championship. 
in basketball, I mean, the football, you know, they brought back the number five jersey, you know, and, and the, the old Arkansas retro, you know, they're wanting to relive the greatness that used to be. And I think they could get there. It's just going to take time and it's going to take the right coaching staff. And, you know, I really feel for the coaching staff now with all this virus and stuff that, you know, you're not able to have those workouts and you're not able to connect with players and, and guys are basically on their own, can't go to a gym and work out, you know. So, I mean, I really feel for all the the athletes that are trying to, you know, the freshmen that are trying to get those big gains from high school to college. You know, it's it's going to be a big challenge moving forward, you know, I mean, when this is all said and done, and if even if we have a season, I, I mean, that's still in the air. I mean, they might not even have a college football season this year because, I mean, if this thing doesn't end and, you know, you're going to expect players to come out middle of June and August and then a month later be ready to play ball, you know, and the way college football is now, those top-tier programs, if you lose one, one game, I mean, your national ch- championship hopes can be done. So, I mean, it's it's going to be really tough for those those teams once they can get back in the swing of things to uh, get prepared and get ready for the season. Yeah, that's one thing I was actually – so my, my mom, ever since I started playing football in sixth grade, is just – I mean, she, I have to ask her questions sometimes. She studies Razorback football religiously, and she we were talking about it the uh, the other day. And basically one of the things that she had said to me was as well that, you know, the season doesn't start like kind of like what you were saying, end of August, early September. But you got to think about the conditioning. I mean, you, you basically just hit everything on the head, but it's kind of like what at what cost will it be at that point? How, how well I'm sure that the guys are still oh, they're all working out and everything like that. But it's just not what they're used to. This has been completely untraditional than what we are accustomed to, which we'll get into that more as we get closer to the season. And also once we know more answers, it looks like at least at this point that we're going to be in this position until at least mid May, possibly early June. We just really don't know a whole lot right now, but uh, it's just not looking like it's going to end anytime in the immediate future. But I think that that will do it for tonight. Porter has a lot of good stuff, man. I, I think that uh, think that we had a good show, and I was glad to talk about this because there were some things that I, I really have. This is some of these games I had not even thought of in quite a while until I really got to thinking. What are some moments that I really remember that uh, were some really high times for this program, and hopefully we'll get back to that again soon. So, well, that again, we'll uh, do it for this week. We will be back on Friday. So, thank you guys, as always, for listening. For Porter Hayes, my name is Kyle Sutherland. You have been listening to the Hog Talk. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E. AV on YouTube.